0: Welcome to today's podcast. How can we deliver good member experience, improve the lives of our customer support teams, and deliver return on investment? This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining at CAA, please visit our website, www.hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency, and my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you're a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health. ...that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favourite podcasting tool... ...so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. Before we begin, we would like to bring you a word from our sponsors, Zipari. Zipari is on a mission to make health insurance better for everyone... Their solutions are built exclusively for health insurance industry to boost growth, retention and engagement and outcomes while reducing costs for payers and members alike. Today, we have Vijay Bhatt, Deputy CTO of Harvard Pilgrim, to talk about technologies that are transforming customer service and member experience. You will get the following questions answered. How to equip your customer support team. What are the emerging technologies that can augment customer support and member experience? What is the impact on costs, whether you're a TPA or an employer, through these solutions? Good afternoon, Vijay. I'm super excited to have you on our podcast for HCA Talks. One of the reasons I'm actually really excited for you to be joining us today is some of the things that you've been doing, innovating around technology and improving the whole operations not just at uh, Howard Pilgrim but more broadly talking about that in the industry so first of all thank you very much for accepting to come on our podcast and today's topic around how technology can enhance and improve operations at a TPA but also really deliver a much better member interaction but maybe if you could start with tell us a little bit more Vijay about your journey and why should our listeners listen
1: to you? All right. Thank you, Ramesh, for inviting me to this podcast. Uh, I appreciate. In general, I've been in the industry for many years, especially supporting IT in different domains. I started in, in the mechanical CAD CAM domain. I moved over to the financial domain. I worked at Fidelity for over 10 years. And, and then I switched over to healthcare, working for a startup company called Dinovis, which is now known as HealthAge. And in between, I was also the chief architect for the state of Massachusetts new MMIS system. So I have a pretty good background in healthcare, starting from going back to 2001. Back in 2009, I switched over to Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare, where they were modernizing their infrastructure, bringing in what is called a component-based uh, SOA architecture as well as agile enabling the organization to bringing agile practices and so forth. So in general, when you look at my background, I've had variety of experiences in varieties of uh, different industries, very strong on algorithms, starting at in the CAD CAM industry. In the financial industry, I had seven patents approved for cybersecurity, as well as created number of applications which are still running at Fidelity today. And then moving over to Harvard Pilgrim, I've done a lot of work in the modernization as well as a lot of the innovations within Harvard Pilgrim, and we'll talk about some of those. Now, as far as uh, customer engagement and the journey itself from a member perspective my interest has always been on wellness and well-being and i do practice number of wellness practices my goal has always been to have a platform where a person can know about the scores of all aspects of their well-being just like when you go to a fidelity website you will know everything you want to know about your finances We don't have that kind of situation today within the healthcare industry. The data is all over the place. There are a lot of silos, and we need to bring everything into one place where a person can understand their complete picture, including what they are doing outside in their private lives, which they want to, and and there are many who do many practices for their well-being. I might be doing yoga. I might be doing meditation. Or I might be eating healthy and doing a lot of volunteering work and practicing a lot of recreational activities and so forth. We need to be able to capture that and be able to bring it up on the forefront, including social determinants of health, including behavioral health and so forth. And that gives a very good picture of the person, and then that person can be managed or addressed appropriately. So I have been working on all those areas in terms of social determinants of health, creating a closed-loop referral platform, in terms of behavior health, creating a filling bot which understands your emotions and be able to guide you towards self-care, creating Ask Happy, which is a member service chatbot with health literacy built in to make sure that you understand and be able to get your answers and to inquiries uh, provided and so forth. So that's my background. That's where I come from. And I can now go into a lot more detail. Well, this on is, it This is great. I
0: mean, It's phenomenal. I think the kind of the range of things you've done at uh, Harvard Pilgrim, we're very excited to learn a bit more. Let me just dive straight into the area that uh, intrigued me is, and we see this a lot, TPAs are increasingly facing this challenge around customer service, member service, member queries. And it's also those interactions are not, they're very tactical in nature. It's also driving a lot of churn at customer service, you know, at customer service teams.
1: Why is this? Hi, Ramesh. So th- the issue here is basically to do with the volume, the frequency uh, of the questions and the uh, difficulties that we are starting to see with regard to uh, those inquiries. And the plans are becoming very complicated. People want to know if they are been serviced for certain uh, benefits, th- whether they will have to end up paying certain deductibles or co insurance and co payments and what is their upfront costs whether they will be covered so they are this is now getting into really complicated understanding of the benefit plans and uh, you need to have well trained member service staff who understand how to read this information and be able to relate back to their members and uh, the training itself is a long Process now. With that in mind, you must also remember the salary of these uh, member service people. Though they need to know very extensive about the uh, plants, they may not be well play, pa- paid in in pro- providing their services. The second thing is uh, to get this kind of people on board and then train them <clears throat> takes quite a while. So in in general. It's the difficulty of being able to answer some of these very insightful questions and the payment as well as the burnout that happens when when they are bombarded with tens and hundreds of questions on the day-to-day basis. And so they get tired to listening to customers. Sometimes they get tired to listening to customers' uh, complaints. And, and there are lots of complaints that come through where uh, customers are asking, why? Why am I supposed to pay so much? And why am I not covered? And why did I end up getting this surprise bill? And and so forth. So really, there is a lot of factors. It's not just one factor. And it's boiling now. And eventually, we need to do something uh, to address many of these kind of uh, concerns And to also address the low-hanging fruits that member services are asked to do, like finding a PCP and all that. Those are very simple Mm -hmm. questions which should be automated in my books.
0: Mm. You talked about two or three broad areas here, skilling, upskilling, which is an important need, requirement. Are you anticipating or thinking... There should be different tiers of training. Are you imagining different types of questions customer service should be answering and they should be trained up for that and then the rest should be taken care of through tech- what What is the mental model you imagine that works best?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Ramesh. I would say that there are different tiers of training and there are different tiers of uh, questions. So there might be complicated questions with a lot of sentiments and emotions in it, which need to be addressed by a person. And that person niche, needs to be trained in how to handle emotions and how to handle some of the mental health issues that come with it and so forth. So that's a different kind of training. They have to be trained in a number of areas, not just simple customer service and knowing how to answer, but also in how to manage that emotions that are and the sensitivity that's taking place between the customer and the member service person. Whereas Mm -hmm. at the same time, this low-hanging fruit kind of question needs to be offloaded. They are standard now. They can be easily managed through right kind of technology to automate a lot of those uh, kind of questions. We don't need a member service to answer very, very basic questions about the individual's needs so they may want to just find out what address they have on their record and they may have they want to change an address they should be able to do that or they want to change their SSN they should be able to do that they want to Hmm. change the date of birth they should be able to do that and at the same time they want to find a physician in a particular zip code they should be able to do that automatically I mean why do we they need to call a a member service person to help them with them. If they have something on the fingertips that will allow them to do that very, very quickly, instead of waiting in a queue to, to get service by a member service person.
0: Yeah. Quite a lot of kind of specific, simple things. And and we can probably expand that list to having my claim status or balances reviewing my balance, getting my ID card.
1: Exactly. um, so there's uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, small, small things, in, including what is the cost for me for a particular service. Give me an estimate of a cost for a particular service if mm-hmm. I go to this particular provider or even for a cost to me for a, a branded drug and so forth. Uh, so it should be able to... I have a 1099. I want to get a 1099 form from you. I want to uh, kind of... Do it online. You know, I don't want any paper. I want to go paperless and and so forth. So there's a lot of small little things which you don't need to call member service to manage for you. Yeah. But aren't these things available in a member portal out there? What is the issue? That's an excellent kind of uh, suggestion, right? I mean, it is. Member portals have been there for many years. They are always improving. They are becoming uh, much easier to navigate and, uh, and hopefully they will keep on advancing and so forth. The challenges in the past were that information was hidden away in the member portal somewhere. So if you go to a website and say, what is my group ID? Okay, I belong to an employer. And all I want to do is to find out my group ID because I need to fill in when I fill in uh, for my 1099 form or whatever, I need a group ID. So just, I bet you, you go to many of the member portals and search for, uh, just go and look for it, navigate yourself. You will not find a group ID, okay? So a simple thing like a group ID is extremely difficult to find or even to find my claim status or to look for a particular benefit i don't know if i am how many visits i'm covered for acupuncture benefits for example where do i find that and so those are really challenges obviously technology with portal is gonna improve they will make it a little more readable more intuitive more navigate navigatable and so forth but it's not there yet and that's why people call member services right i mean the other mm-hmm. big challenge is every time member forgets their passwords okay mm-hmm. <laughs> and and when member forgets their password the it's uh, because of privacy and security the whole password process is very cumbersome okay and if they forget the user id that's even worse okay because to get a new user ID, is it's a, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So those are all uh, challenges that members are facing. And so and then the elderly members and their senior members uh, who, have, who don't want to go onto websites and create email addresses and other things. So those are other challenges. So even though there are portals out there, they are not being used to that level. I would say 10% of members come to the portals and those are only in, in certain times of the year because of open enrollment or whatever, but that's still not the, the the amount we are looking for. You want much higher traction than that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What's your experience, Vijay, when it comes to taking this thinking of member portals to making it omnichannel, whether it's text or chat or mobile chatbot then really leveraging mobile, what's been your experience of using these multi-touch and mobile sort of technologies?
1: At the end of the day, the question is about health literacy, right? And, and you have people out there who have fifth grade level of uh, uh, English understanding. You have people who are Spanish. You have uh, different uh, ethnicity, language, and, and so forth. They want to be able to communicate with something just like they would communicate with a member service person, okay, Uh, uh, over voice. They want to be able to communicate over voice with whatever it is. It doesn't matter, right? Or over text. So I see voice-enabled technology as well as text-enabled technology, uh, which is basically able to respond back Uh, to the specific question that the members has in their language, in their level of understanding. If somebody can come up with something like that, it will have great value, right? I mean, if I go to Alexa and ask them, Alexa, hey, or Siri, and ask uh, about my benefits and my appointment with a doctor and, and my... Information about my blood pressure and so on, and if it is able to answer me like a human being does, you know, wouldn't that be a great tool to have? So that technology is there; it's not new; it's been around. It's just that people have not adopted in healthcare to that level yet.
0: So some of those things can benefit the, the let's say the customer service agent, or certainly the member. Maybe if you could put some perspective with numbers here, if we were to put some of these things in place, multi-touch, mobile, this and that, voice technology, where are we today with member portals in terms of how many member lives can be managed through one customer service rep versus in the future? What do you envision? Can you share some
1: of your experience on? I mean, if you think about it, uh, on a given single day, A member service person can address up to, let's say, 70 questions, okay? Depending upon the length of the question and depending upon the customer that you have in the back. There are people who just call to say hi and they want to chat and they can go on chatting about their cat and dog and everything else. That's all part of wellness, to be honest. I mean... Listening is very important. That's why we have to have that part of member service still available to those kind of members. Because it's not just they have question about this, this particular plan or whatever. It's about they want to express their feelings. They want to connect with somebody. They want to talk with somebody. They may be lonely and they just want to call in to chat. So we should be ready for that. So a member service now becomes a therapist too. Do you understand when we talk about the upskilling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is really
0: interesting. When I mean, right. you know, I experienced it at home where my kid might be actually asking, saying something, but really there's something more behind it. So we all kind of, we are irritated by some card or some bill, but there may be something bigger because you're dealing with healthcare.
1: So that's the kind of upskilling we are talking about for member service folks is to... Kind of start to get into this emotional touch, sensitivity, et cetera. But as far as the opportunity goes for text enabled or voice enabled technologies, uh, there are mainly three KPIs, uh, and there may be other KPIs that I look at, right? One is how much coverage are you doing accurately? for the intent that that particular member has in their inquiry. So the intent coverage is very important. The second one is knowledge delivery rate, okay? And the third one is knowledge success rate. So when we talk about the intent coverage, that's the rate at which the chatbot accurately understands the reason a member is requesting support, okay? Uh, The second one is the knowledge delivery rate. That's the rate at which the chatbot accurately understands the intent of the member's query. And the third one is the knowledge success rate. And that is the rate at which the chatbot solves the customer problems and questions. Okay. So when you multiply those three, you will get what is called a potential deflectable rate or a deflectable rate. Right? And that kind of gives you a very good idea of how much deflection you can do of member service calls to a particular uh, technology like a chatbot. So that's how you can measure the KPIs. Mm. Now, uh, in our case, I'll just give you uh, just a background. The intent coverage we have today, and it's been going on We went live with a chatbot called Ask Happy back in October of 2018. And obviously, we had trained it with our understanding of the member service categories of questions and so on. But it is not a one-time thing. You continuously have to supervise it, what's called supervised training, and keep on at it because new questions and variations of the same questions the permutation combination is huge and the chatbot should be able to understand the intent. So when we first started, I would say that I did a study of it with back in 2020, I would say around January 1st, 2020 to March and did some analysis on data. And there was another analysis of chatbot data done from October, 2019 to December, 2019. So I can share some of the data just to give you a perspective, right? So what we were looking for was how much confidence does this chatbot have as far as responding back to the inquiries that the members have. And uh, it was able to come up with 80%, what we call accurate confidence score okay and then you your chatbot should be smart enough to figure out what is not uh, the the confidence score and not respond back with a with just any answer but to respond back with a generic response which can then be told to go to a customer service or a member service and and so forth. So there are different categories, very high confidence, high confidence, medium confidence, low confidence, very low confidence, or zero confidence. And based on that, you can uh, basically figure out where you want to sit. So we had very high confidence of 40%. We had high confidence of 26%. We had medium confidence of 28%. And then we had low confidence and so on. So low confidence, very low and zero confidence was like 7%. The rest was medium and higher confidence. So that kind of gives you a perspective of what is the opportunity here. And it it can be huge.
0: And so if I'm understanding that confidence number is how confident you are in understanding not just the intent, but intent multiplied by your uh,
1: delivery rate and then the knowledge success rate knowledge and you, success. right and that basically gives you a perspective also of what you can deflect towards such a device and what we found was based on all the inquiries we get we can deflect almost 45% of those inquiries to a chatbot so that's well, your that, opportunity there
0: that's great this is huge so yeah. almost half yeah you yeah. can out of the get there and then over the next three years, where do you see this landing?
1: I mean obviously uh, I see us uh, we started with a tax based chatbot and uh, we wanted to service member service questions as well as answer some of the health literacy questions and so on. The chatbot needs to expand into servicing other areas like they are brokers and their are providers and their are customer. they are employers and so on, because they too come to our our side. Their questions need to be answered as well. So we, we don't fully cover that area yet, like the providers or the brokers. There's a big opportunity there as well. So that would be the next step in terms of creating the relevant training. Then obviously moving forward, we had the time during COVID, if you look at it, There was a lot of people had COVID-related questions. Sometimes you just need to provide a a decision tree, what we call for symptom checking for COVID. People don't need to rush to an emergency or, or other places if they don't really have the relevant symptoms, right? So you can kind of address those kind of scenarios in your chatbot. Uh, another scenarios you can now start adding are, for example, do I need symptom checking for uh, emergency visits? Do I need to go for an emergency care for uh, a particular symptom? And if you have a symptom checker with, with the built-in decision tree, Uh, Like a triaging, it can tell you, no, you don't need to go there. You can uh, instead go to an urgent care or you can just call a telehealth and and be able to address those. So those are opportunities. And then there are opportunities from a behavioral health perspective. People have mental health concerns and issues. The chatbot should be able to address many of those, automate them, right? There are a lot of low-hanging fruits in. there's a lot of opportunity there. You can do... Cognitive behavior therapy through a chatbot. You don't need a human being to be there. And then finally, if this cannot be addressed, you need to be able to transfer it to a live agent. And the live agent, again, we talked about it. They need to be emotionally and and sensitive and be able to address some of the behavior needs as well as the member service inquiry needs and so forth.
0: So the opportunities are tremendous. I think you, you laid out almost three or four layers, you know, the operational kind of issues, requirements, challenges. Then you've got the multiple stakeholders, like providers and brokers and employers who could be accessing all of this through technology. Then you've got the getting into a little bit more of symptoms, symptom right. checkers to diagnosing where to triage and get the member out to the to the right places of care. So really multitude. Let's take maybe the first area and if you could help us put our heads around the the kind of impact it can have. And you talked about 45% of the calls and queries could be tackled. What does it mean from whether it's the savings or today, for example, I've seen one customer service rep may support 1,000 or 1,500 employee lives, which translates into maybe twice of that, that number in terms of member lives. Any markers around there where if a TPA is putting some of these things in place, taking away 45% of their queries, what does that translate into impact cost savings?
1: So, yeah, abso- a- absolutely. So the, the cost for a member service call on average, Ramesh, do you know what that number is approximately?
0: I don't
1: know. It can be $5, it can be $7, it can be $10, depending upon uh, the nature of the call and uh, for what kind of product the call is for and so forth. So let's take on average $7, okay? So $7 per call and a member service, just a member service, I'm not even talking about provider service and so on, with maybe a million member lives, okay, let's say. Uh, or uh, thereabout takes in per month I would say about 80 to 100,000 questions okay now you do the math if it is let's say 80,000 you divide it by 2 you have 40,000 questions uh, a month you multiply that by 7 that's your savings there just to give you a perspective, that's what two point eight million, three million. Staggering. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, so that's a, that's an opportunity. Obviously, you need to get there over time, uh, and and so forth. Now, if you take the provider inquiries, they may be sometimes more, sometimes less. They might be more costlier. So again, similar kind of numbers you then have brokers and employees so now you start adding up and you will see that it pays for itself very easily multiple times i would say
0: yeah this is great this is really helpful puts things in perspective and then obviously the next layer of various things that you described can have its own multiplicative impact so so certainly investing in unifying this experience bringing it through technologies like these Maybe kind of looking at this in a a more, you know, how can TPAs out there put these things in place? Because on day one, I'm sure it's too overwhelming. What are the steps you kind of have gone through or you recommend if I'm a TPA or even a benefit consultant working with employers trying to make sure they're getting the right access to care and service? What steps would you put in place first?
1: Experience is very important. People who have done this, have gone through this before, that plays a big, important role in executing a project of this nature, right, and getting the benefits you are looking for. Obviously, uh, there are certain statistics, certain analyses that uh, TPAs or benefit consultants have put in place to understand what kind of inquiries they are getting on on regular basis. So that kind of understanding and the reason for the calls and all that, that should be there, right? It should be there and how they are answering those questions. And if they wanted to make it into a more of a self-enabled solution, how can they do that? Is there any websites or places where This particular inquiry can then go and answer the member's question, are there any APIs? So API enablement of a lot of this data needs to be done so that it can be brought out from a self-management perspective. So those are obviously challenges because a lot of these companies may have legacy platforms. They need to, first of all, either extract all that information and give it out to organizations such as your organization, Zaki Point, where this data is extracted and maintained and it is unable with this kind of technology. so I, I, I feel that that's, that's the right direction to go, and obviously, over time, once you understand the the categories of questions, the reason for calls, you are training this particular bot you will start to see the results uh, come through uh, i don't know how well trained or how well kind of resource these organizations are out there i mean you look at many of the large organizations that's putting a lot of money into building something like this it's not uh, a trivial thing right because there's uh, ai natural language processing machine learning Etc. cetera, that goes into it. Those skills are not as prevalent. So you need to get that kind of skill set. You need to get that kind of training. You need to do supervised learning. There's a lot of factors involved in it. So you need to get and have some organization that can help you do it, or you need to build a team that knows how to do it.
0: So I took away four steps, actually, just to synthesize this. One is you need to have the experience of the team in house or through expertise out there consultants to really help you diagnose second i heard is having api flexible architecture where you can expose the data to whoever else and third parties third i did hear is really important to understand whether you call the type of questions you are you are seeing at your call center and analysis of how much is going through you know these transaction calls and stuff like that so that you can understand where you want to focus and prioritize and then working with the right kind of third party company solutions who have the right toolkits technologies around artificial intelligence or data management and other things. So kind of as, as a blueprint to keep those things in mind. And, and again, you talked a little bit about where you can take this transformation. This is quite helpful. Any resources that you would share with our listeners, As they kind of go down this journey of improving these operations for the call center teams and member services team?
1: I mean, resources, you have to look around. I mean, if you go to harvardpilgrim.org website on the right, bottom right corner, you will see a chatbot called Ask Happy. And if you type in any question, it will basically understand your intent and be able to answer back. Obviously, if you are behind login, that it becomes even more powerful. This is before login. So it is only whatever publicly available information. You can look at it and see how it works. But behind login, basically, it it becomes more powerful because it gives you very specific information about your own plans and uh, your own benefits and so on. And so that is a, that is done through APIs and that is done through extraction of certain information and so forth. In my books, that's a, a, something one can look at and play with it and you will get an idea how these things work. But the technologies are out there. There's a lot of technologies that vendors like Microsoft, Google, AWS, from uh, Amazon, uh, IBM, et cetera, and many, many vendors out there who have been promoting uh, this kind of technologies. It's how much you want to pay, right? At the end of the day, how much you want to do it on your own, how much you want to pay and have somebody else come and do it for you. So that's something to decide. I mean, you they might do 50 questions or 100 questions. Can, uh, they, these are canned questions. But you have permutation combination of thousands, so that would require continuous supervision to know what's going on, what kind of questions you are going, how are you going to train it, and so on. So there is a there's a resource or two that you need to dedicate to this thing as well. Uh, mm, it's
0: wonderful. This is great, and there's been huge, some lots of nuggets of ideas. We could carry on forever. But I think this really gives a lot of good flavor. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch?
1: Yeah. So they can reach out to me via my LinkedIn profile, Vijay Bart. And if they search for me in Vijay Bart uh, at Harvard Pilgrim healthcare, we are now known as Point Thirty Two health. We just very recently combined with Tufts health plan. So we are much larger now. We have about 2.4 million members. And so we are now known as 0.32 Health. Uh, So you can reach out to me. And uh, if you need any kind of suggestions or advice, I'm always open, free. That's great. (laughs) That's great. Well, there there you have it, our listeners.
0: Really, really thankful to you, Vijay, for sharing your insights with the work that you're doing with this kind of level of population and the technologies. Once again, thank you for your ideas.
1: Thank you, Ramesh. It was nice talking to you.
0: Great talking to you. Have a great
1: afternoon. Yeah.
0: You too. and I would like to thank Zipari our sponsor for this show please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people and tell us about topics that we should bring to you next please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests I'm your host Ramesh Kumar of Point Help.